Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Throwback Book Stack. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, uh, this is a show where I, one of your hosts, Kelly. And I, Emily. Uh, we are going back and rereading all of the books that we really loved as kids, that we vaguely remember as kids, that we own and found on our parents' shelves when we went to visit our parents over the holidays that we read as kids. Uh, we're revisiting these books now that we are in our 30s, and we're looking at them through the new lens of being an adult and sort of judging these books, judging the children that we were who read them, and just judging ourselves now. We're here to judge. And this week we are reading Sharon Creech's Walk Two Moons. It was published in 1994, and in 1995 it won the Newbery Medal. Since then it went on to win the United Kingdom's Children's Book Award. In 1997 it won the Liter House Award? Literary House. Literary House Award in Aust Austria. So it's gone on to win a couple things. It's been... A book that's had a little bit of, you know, prestige attached to it as a result of that. Uh, and Sharon Creech originally wrote it as a follow-up to another book she wrote called Absolutely Normal Chaos, which is basically um, a book that takes place from the point of view of one of the minor characters, and it's about some journals she wrote over the summer. Uh, it ended up not really ending up being that. It sort of took on a life of its own and became a very different, fleshed-out book that sort of followed its own path. So this was a book I'd never read, never heard of, knew zero things about beforehand. But so this was a book that you brought to the table. Yeah, I had read it a couple of times and I didn't really remember too much about it going in. <clears throat> I did not own this book, but I feel like I read it more than once as a kid. And I read what, in my memory, is a sequel. <laughs> Looking up, it's a little more complicated. It's not like a direct sequel, but it is kind of sold as part of a like a series like the two of them i think she gets mentioned in this other book that takes like she's she's sort of what a relative of one of the characters yeah i guess i don't know we didn't read that book so I yeah don't know. <laughs> we but, didn't get too deep into it as we read a couple books for this podcast <laughs> but i basically like i remember liking it i liked this author obviously because i read more than one of her books sought her out so we said we were gonna read it and then Kelly read it before me. Oh yeah, I read this a while ago. And was like, what the hell? This was super depressing. <laughs> and so then I dreaded reading it for a while. Anyone that like, saw my oh, tweets no. about why Emily always makes me sad read sad books, this was the book I was talking about. I did not remember it being sad. And I kind of stand by that because I was dreading it because I was like, oh god, it's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be sad. I don't need another sad book. There's parts that are not like super happy, which we'll get into in a second. But... We're going to be spending most of the podcast fighting on this issue, I feel, because it's a super sad book. I don't think so. I'm very curious what you remember about this book as a kid that did not scream, this is the embodiment of sadness to you. What specific memories do you have about this book before we started reading it? I really didn't have much except for it was about a girl with a weird name. And then I think I confused it with possibly the sequel or possibly a different one where a woman actually walks on a trail for a while. I think that is the sequel. And I think that was what I was thinking of. So you didn't clearly remember things about this book. No, and it's going to sound weird when I get into it, because this book is about dealing with grief, but... This book is about giving you grief and then teaching you ways to deal with it, and most of those ways are you're going to be sad forever. And I think the overall arcing point of this book is that it's about finding peace after dealing with grief, and... I don't think it does it in a depressing way. Like, it's still, like, this book is full of such, like, good humor and joy and, like, love. I need you to understand that you made me read this sad book in 2018. I am already living in an eternal state of just, like, day-to-day -day depression and anxiety. And it's like, here, I gave you this book. 
books make you feel joy in a dark world. Here's a children's book. Here is a book for a child. Surely that will cheer you up. Oh no, no it won't. I hope you enjoy being sad forever. If there's anything I'm I've sad forever now about children's books doing this podcast, it's that most of them are super depressing. They're all so fucked up. Children are sociopaths who God. only enjoy books about sad things. Yeah. What's wrong with children? I hope we come to the bottom of that question in this podcast. Anyway. So to bring you all into this conversation before I keep yelling about how sad this book is, uh, we're going to go ahead and summarize what happens um, so that you can be a part of this conversation. So if this is a book you want to read and you don't want to be spoiled, hit pause now, read the book, come back and join us. Wipe your tears off on the pages of the book itself. Okay, so this book follows the story of a girl named... Sala Manka Tree Hiddle. So her mother is, besides being part Native American, kind of like naturey, loves nature, hippie type. So her name is Sala Manka because her mother is part Native American and she mistakenly thought that the tribe name was Salamanca, but it was Seneca. Uh, her middle name is Tree and they make a big deal about how her mom wanted to give her the name Salamanca sugar maple tree hiddle because her favorite type of tree is a sugar maple but then shortened it to just tree that's a lot of name it is but it also sums up her mom really well like you learn a lot about who this woman is just by what she chose to name her daughter um so Salamanca usually just goes by Sal and so we follow her so it's kind of a story within a story type thing like we start off Salamanca is living in Ohio and her mom is not there, she's just living with her dad, and she's a little unhappy, like, in general, and she misses her mom, and she is going on a trip over the summer, like, a road trip with her two grandparents to go visit her mom in Idaho. And while on this road trip, she also tells them a story to kind of, like, help pass the time of her new friend who she met this year when she moved to Ohio, named Phoebe. Uh, and some of the stuff that Phoebe went through. So it kind of like trades on and off between being like IRL what's happening on the road trip and then like Sal telling the story of Phoebe over the past year. And this is where it gets tricky because even as a kid I remember this not being twist that like the way they talk of her mom and the way she's not there and stuff I feel it's not like you're kind of like so your mom's dead right? Like, they do make a reference really early on to her resting peacefully, and you can't really misinterpret that, but they also try and portray it as she may just have left. Yeah, and Salamanca is always careful to say, like, visit her and stuff, and never actually say the words she's dead, but it's, like, super implied, even as a kid, you kind of get it, and, like, the fact that she's not there, and, like, her dad is sad, and kind of, like moving on maybe and stuff like there's a lot of like mm, so is this supposed to be a twist or what but we'll get to that so anyway so they go on this road trip so you find out that they have moved to ohio at the beginning of the year her dad is friends with the neighbor named margaret cadaver and there's another neighbor named phoebe who is sal's age and in her class and phoebe is one of those girls who has what they would say like a wild imagination and is also kind of, like, very high-strung about everything. <laughs> and Phoebe's family starts to get a notes on their porch. 
And they're not bad notes. They're notes that say things like, uh, like, where the title of this book comes from. Like, one of them says, like, never judge a man until you've walked two moons in his moccasins. Kind of, like, folksy. Like, fun little sayings or proverbs. Yeah. But it, like, freaks them all out. (laughs) As it should. And then, one day when Sal and Phoebe are at home, just, like, a strange younger man knocks on the door. Like, high school age. Or or low college age. Yeah, college age. Phoebe, like, freaks out and starts calling this dude the lunatic. A lot of her story revolves around how she thinks, basically, that there's a murderer out to get them. Meanwhile, on the road trip, you get to learn about her grandparents, Graham and Gramps, who are, like, I'd say pretty much delightful. Sometimes, sometimes a little bit much, but, like, they clearly, they love each other so much, and they're kind of, like, this old-school generation they say like weird country sayings and like they have like catchphrases like the grandma is always saying huzza huzza (laughs) and they kind of just do whatever they want this turns into a bad thing when they decide to go wade in a river even though there's no like designated spot for that and then the grandma gets bit by i want to say a water moccasin yeah it's a water moccasin which i will come back to because i have issues (laughs) (laughs) And they have to take her to the hospital for a snake bite, and it's all very scary and kind of like, hmm. So meanwhile, going back to Phoebe's story again, in these stories, both of them, you learn a little bit about Sal's mom through bits and pieces, which kind of gradually start to paint her as a, like, whole person, where at first you learn just the good things about how, like, how much she loves Sal, which is a lot. She friggin' loved her. Just, like, the quirky, nice things she did. She liked hug and kiss trees, because she's a hippie. And, like, you know, her love of nature and just, like, kind of fun-loving, easygoing for a lot of it. But then you also start to learn about how, like, she kind of felt inadequate next to Sal's dad sometimes. You learn her backstory of how she always wanted, like, a lot of kids. But she had an unfortunate miscarriage when Sal was a few years younger, maybe not even, maybe, like, only, like, a year or two younger, Mm -hmm. and basically not only lost that baby, but they also, like, there was complications, and basically don't think she can have kids anymore. She definitely couldn't. They, yeah, yeah. so there was complications. She she was bleeding for days and had to surgically remove many things. So she had a miscarriage, and there was complications, and she can't have kids, so just so. So you start to kind of get more of a picture of who she was and why she decided to leave on this trip to go visit a cousin in Idaho. Uh, so going back, so to Phoebe's story, Phoebe's mom, who always kind of said some like weird things sometimes about like almost borderline inappropriate to her kids being like, do you think my life is small? Or like, just like trying to help and getting pushed away and like all this stuff where you like, even as a child or like, oh, this lady doesn't sound very happy just leaves one day with no warning to anyone and just leaves notes for like both her children and her husband and frozen food in the freezer and then leaves. So Phoebe, of course, goes to the worst case scenario and thinks her mom has been like kidnapped by this murderer lunatic and her dad is like, usually kidnapped people don't prepare food and freeze it first. (laughs) Uh, Just saying. Uh, This is a good point. She eventually gathers up all the weird notes they've been getting because she thinks they're connected and goes to the police 
and that's when they see a picture of this like supposed lunatic on the sergeant's desk and learn that he is the sergeant's son and kind of like get an idea of who he is. This is also all very hard for Sal because it just is like reminding her of when her mom also just kind of left with no warning. <laughs> it's really hard for her to kind of almost live through this type of thing again. They go to the police, they find out who he is. So they decide to look him up and kind of spy on him. So they go and they find him on his college campus and they see him with the mom, like her Phoebe's missing mom, <laughs> holding hands. It kind of freaks out Phoebe and I think the next day, the mom calls and says she's coming home. And so they all like run around like crazy waiting for her. And she comes home and she introduces the lunatic to them. And they discover that he is her son from like before she was married. And she never said anything because she thought that the husband would basically judge her for it and not be down with this. <laughs> but it turns out they're all kind of like, I mean, it's weird and stuff, but they're all just like, we missed you. We want you back. It was horrible not having you here. And so that has a kind of a happy resolution. You also found out that the lunatic had nothing to do with the notes. Uh, it was a different neighbor who just was like, I don't know, thought it was nice. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back in the road trip, all of Sal's story kind of comes to a head. Um, they get past Yellowstone, and the grandma is not feeling good anymore. And they get to Idaho where they kind of immediately take her to a hospital. And Sal has been kind of on this, like, internal deadline all the time. Like, they don't actually have a deadline, but Sal has all been, like, in her head, just panicky and rushed, and, like, kind of every time they stop somewhere, she's like, are you sure we should stop? We need to keep going. Just saying. And so they get to the hospital, and they admit her overnight, and the grandfather's like, you know what? Here, take the, the keys to this truck. Like, finish this off. And so... This is like a, a 11 year old. <laughs> yeah, but she grew up on a farm and so like she's been driving since she was like seven. So she actually knows how to drive and like has driven what? this car before. I know it's still dicey. I'm just saying at least she has some prior experience. <laughs> anyway, so she finishes off the journey herself driving and you find out that her destination was this place in Idaho is in the mountains, and there's a particular road with a lot of, like, twists and turns. And about a year ago, there was a bad bus accident where a bus fell off the road and rolled down the hill. There was only one survivor. And she, like, goes to the site of the bus crash, and that's when you realize that you've known all along her mom died, but her destination wasn't really a graveyard or anything, although she does eventually go there, too. Um, it was this place. It was, like, to see it for herself and kind of, like, really come to terms with it. That's also where you learn what I would consider the real twist of the story, which is that this neighbor that both Phoebe and Sal have hated the whole time, this woman who her dad is growing close to, you kind of always thought that, like, they met, I don't even know, like, I kind of thought, like, oh, maybe they met in, like, a grief counseling or something. She doesn't like her because they're dating, and that's all this stuff. But you learn the real story behind her, which is that she was on the bus with her mom. And, like, this wasn't just, like, one bus ride. This was, like, the entire... Six days. Yeah. So they sat next to each other. They became friends. They told each other all about themselves. They talked. They hung out. And then this neighbor is the only person who survived that bus crash. Like, she was there when her mom died. And so you find out that that's kind of why she's had problems with her and doesn't want to be around her and doesn't really 
Like, it... And she kind of comes to terms with that, too, and, like, realizes, like, it's not her fault. This just happened. It's just the way it is. The police show up because there's, like, an empty car at the side of the road, and then they realize that there's, like, a 12-year-old driving it. And so when she explains her story, the police are, like, super nice about it. They, they're like, you know what? Here, we'll drive the car. Like, we're <laughs> obviously not letting you drive again. They drive her back to the hospital. Where she- they drive her to her mother's grave. Yeah, they go to the grave first, but then they drive her back to the hospital, and she finds out that her grandma died while she was gone. So, Remember, not a sad book. I mean, I'm not saying there are sad parts, but I think overall, I mean, that's pretty much the end. You go back, like, she makes her peace with Mrs. Cadaver. Um, they end up going back to the farm in Kentucky, not staying in Ohio, which is great because Sal has really been missing their farm and their land in Kentucky and not really liking Ohio, but they stayed there because her dad said it would be too hard because, like, there's just reminders of her mom everywhere. Like, he needed to get away. But now they're both at a place where they can deal with those reminders. It does have its sad parts, but what I'm skipping over wasn't really a plot point, but just, like, how much fun you have with the grandparents. The plot points themselves might be sad events, but the, like, being there in this world wasn't always sad. Or It's like, not about the people that die in your life. It's about the fun you have along the road trip of life. It's so true, though. Everyone's gonna die. Have fun on that road trip. <laughs> All her, like, dealings with Phoebe, who's just crazy, and, like, even Sal sometimes is like, okay, it's a little much, Phoebe. I think that 90% of this book is fun. Yeah, 10% of it is sad, but it's, I don't know, it's about dealing with that, though, and again, it's like finding peace and acceptance. I'm arguing your percentages. Um, I would like to put this book at 45% sad, 55% not sad, because every time you have a point where you're, like, starting to come out of the sad zone... Something will remind her of something sad. There's always these, like, weird, slight, like, sad comments at the end of, like, a section about joy. And then it's, like, and then sad. And then it's just but, constant reminders of the absence of her mother in every single thing she does. So it's a lingering sadness. Yeah, but it wasn't sad, like, oh, and then I remember the memories that were making her sad, though, were happy memories. Except the ones that weren't. I mean, I was really bracing myself for this to be a depressing book, and I just really didn't find it that way. Okay, like, so now that you've read, now that you've read it again, and actually know what it's about this time, what what is your response now, adult you? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I would, I would give this to people. <laughs> did it match? I guess my question is, did you have any expectations that were matched coming in? Like, what you know, how was that? What was your expectation uh, well, coming in versus how you feel now? It turned out this was not the book I thought it was about someone walking on a trail. Although, to be <laughs> fair, I think that that book actually was sad. Okay. <laughs> so it's a good thing we didn't read that one. Oh, no, that would be terrible. I love a good book about the ro- a road trip, so I love that. Again, I was bracing myself for it to be depressing, and I really didn't find it as depressing as you did, I think. so. Or, like, depressing at all. I thought it was very nice. Okay, um, just to recap how many people die in this book. I do think the real twist is not that her mom is dead. It's that Mrs. Cadaver was friends with her mom. Yeah. And was in the oh, bus. Oh, totally. Yeah, Mrs. Cadaver has a really interesting role because I, I think I definitely did believe the, oh yeah, your parents are, your dad is dating her kind of dynamic. But yeah, it turned out to just be, he wanted that last thing that was close to her about her mother. Yeah. And that, you know, also uh, Mrs. Cadaver had lost her husband previously She'd been in a car accident and in that situation and lost her husband when a drunk driver rammed into them. 
So, you know, lots of happy things. Um, we There's, like, this whole speculation throughout it that Mrs. Cadaver actually murdered her husband, that, like, Phoebe has this whole theory. And it turns out, no, Phoebe, she didn't murder her husband. She watched her husband die. That's that's great. Um, it's because their teacher at school is Mrs. Cadaver's twin. I would argue that if you murder your husband, you also probably watch him die. I hate you. <laughs> it's just a book of this lingering soul deep sadness of the fact that inevitably everyone will be lost to you well everyone leaves you they don't just die they viscerally leave you it's about coming to to terms and to peace and like yeah she misses her mom but it's no longer a thing that like like she's in a better place now about it oh yeah absolutely you can't help when these things happen these accidents but you can sometimes deal with them in a better way but they also like went and killed off the grandma in a way that like she wasn't even able to be there for her grandmother dying because she had to go visit her dead mother's grave holy shit this is a book for young people but i feel like they knew that the grandma was gonna die and she went anyway like they kind of both were like sad you know that being here isn't gonna help the only thing acceptance about your mother i was shocked they didn't give her a dog in this book just to kill it like it was that kind of book it's only two people that died (laughs) yeah but there's all the people around them that die you have the fact that um mrs cadaver's husband was dead you then have two people that died throughout this book you just have a lot and then you have like all the mystery of related to whether phoebe's mother's gonna come back there's a lot of like absence what you do when, when the, you know your family fucking leaves you yeah but phoebe's mother did come back (sighs) I don't know. You're painting it as someone who's like slogging through grief and like every moment is pain. Oh, here's the like, thing. I thought it was a great fucking book. I thought it was really well written. I thought the writing was super clever. I thought there was a lot of fun, joyous moments. Exactly. But the fact that they found so much joy and then they immediately go, and then, you know, remembering my mother who's now gone forever. I'm like, cool. Great. Thanks. Okay. Now but I'm back in the sad is. zone. Yes, it is. Reminding you, but it's also not being like, I don't know. Like I said, like those memories though were happy memories and it was finding a way to come to terms of being like, remembering those happy memories didn't like stop her life. It was just like, yes, at least I have those. I'm just saying you did not warn me when I picked this up that this was the voyage I was going on. I don't know. I didn't find it as sad as you did. I think. Oh God. I, I just spent this book. My heart hurting the entire time. I found the overall tone of it kind of uplifting. (laughs) That was part of the thing that stressed me out, was that the tone of it was uplifting while all these horrible things were happening. And again, me two years ago would have had a different response, but I am now made of 2018 chitin. I am now made of despair crystallized into human form. So I was just like, well, they're so positive while everyone's dying. We're all dying. I can't be positive like that. I might as well just curl up and die now. Thanks, book. I mean, she wrote this in 1994, so I guess you could argue the world is always bad and you're just now noticing. I mean, that's also true. But, I don't know, you didn't find it more uplifting? Like, this is how you... No. ...deal with... No. ...bad things. No. ...in a way that you still notice the good in life. I acknowledge that's what the book was trying to do, but I felt so depressed at that point I couldn't couldn't join it on this journey. I saw what the book was doing. It just didn't work for me in that sense of I saw this beauty and joy it was giving, but it had dropped me so far down the well I could not find the light to get my way out. I was just trapped in the well. I really did not find this book depressing. (laughs) I didn't even cry. I cry at commercials. 
Which commercial did you cry at last? Oh, okay. So one time, me and my sister sat down and we showed each other every commercial we could think of that made us cry, and we were both sobbing for like half an hour, and my brother walked in and was like, what is wrong with you two? I'm impressed you had a half an hour of commercials that make you cry. Listen. Well, first off, it was mostly on YouTube, so some of that was probably ads. Did the ads also make you cry? No, I don't think so. Um, I can't remember the last one that made me cry, like, in real life, because I mostly, I don't watch that many commercials anymore. Well, yeah, we live beyond that. Yeah. Netflix doesn't have any, so that's my life. Okay, what was the last movie I saw? Because I bet I cried at that. Technically, the last movie I saw was Infinity War, and I cried at that for different places <sighs> than you'd think. Yeah, I cried. I cried. Why doesn't this movie have any stakes? Yeah, I cried. Well, you know what? I'm not going to go into it. Cause I didn't cry any deaths. I no. cried at other None places. of them were sad. And so that's fucked up, probably. But no, that's not my point. They didn't give you. They didn't give you the opportunity to cry in the desk. Anyway, this is our Infinity Wars podcast. Um, what movie did I see before that? Oh, Black Panther! Holy crap, did I cry? Oh, oh god, my yeah, god. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that doesn't count. I don't know. I don't see many movies. I know. Um, I, don't I mean, know. I cry at movies all the time, but I went through this one month where I just every movie I saw was sad for some reason. So it was basically yeah. just like at the end of the month, curled up in a corner, viscerally weeping every day. I just watched your name, and that made me cry, so. Yeah, doing great on crying movies. I cry basically, but I don't watch a lot of movies, so it's okay. I watched Moneyball 13 times in theaters, and I cried every single time. I honestly would have thought you would have seen it more than that in theaters. No, 13. Where are we? I'm not recounting Anyway, every... the sadness the of this book. The point is, is that this book didn't even make me cry. And I cry at everything. I was also noticed your summary left out a very specific character that I hated. Who? Ben. I don't know, he's kind of incidental. Except he was interesting There's... in the sense that he was sort of, he was a foil to sort of show her emotional through line throughout the book. So Ben is this boy who likes her, question mark, and kind of hangs around touching her and kissing her in weird places on her face in a way that she is confused by and pointing out that she flinches when people touch her, which then makes her very self-conscious about the way after her mother's left that she doesn't have the same level of human contact from her father and like affection and how that is relaying in her body in a very physical way um i just fucking hate this kid and in the end she like kisses him and like there's this whole thing where he's gonna come and see her and sends her a valentine and i don't care because he spends the first third of the time we see him just being a fucking creeper that just keeps touching her in weird creepy ways he's that dude that you went to school with that probably needed to have some fucking counselor speak to him about the way he approaches women i hate it I hate it. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, it's not great, but I don't know. It's also a weird way that she reacts to it, because at first she does definitely react like she hates it, but then she also kind of sometimes acts like she has a crush on him, and she, like, wants him to do things, and, like, she makes moves, so... Yeah, but, like, the first it part is... she doesn't, and the first part is fucked up. I know, but it's so hard for me to read what the point of him was, because yeah. it's like, what are you trying to say here? Like, do you dislike it? Do you like it? What is going on? Like... It was very confusing, and those kind of thing, feelings are confusing at that age, also, but I hated the way it was portrayed, I hated everything about it, and every time I thought, oh good, he's gone, he would just fucking show up again. Alright, well I didn't hate him, so I don't know what to tell you there. I don't know, he didn't really say much. I know. So I was just kind of like- I appreciated that at least. It's really hard to hate him as a character when I'm like- He just like really fucking show have... up and kiss her on the ear or the collarbone and wander away, and I'm like, go fuck off. Okay, but like- how did she feel about that? At first she was not into it, and then she was, and so that also creeped me the fuck out. I was like, no, no, do not teach these lessons to children. It was a weird side plot that was kind of like, I feel like this whole thing could have been cut out. 
and yeah. it wouldn't really harm the story. That is kind of why I didn't mention it, because there's not really any point to it, I think. The point was to annoy the shit out of me throughout this book. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was, like, a lot of side characters in the book that I just had a lot of angry feelings at, like the teacher as well. The teacher's bad life choices. Okay, the teacher was a terrible teacher. The teacher was Let's... the worst teacher, which is, I think, a constant theme. I don't know why there is a problem with the books we read, and that whenever we are picking up a book that involves a teacher, in general, that teacher is shitty at being a teacher. Killing Mr. Griffin. He does was teaching these students like they were college students and didn't know how to properly work with them in a way that both built them up and gave them criticism in a constructive fashion. Uh, what was that other horrible teacher we had? I have no clue, but I know there was another. The really one weird, inappropriate one, who asked them. Oh, uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, right. The one who asked them way too many personal questions. I think in general, teachers in these books are maybe bad as a way of showing that not all adults are perfect. Yeah. But it's I don't know. It just makes me angry and like this teacher in particular. So he gives them an assignment. I guess over the summer. Yeah. They were supposed to write like a journal about things. It doesn't seem very clear on what, just they're supposed to write a summer journal. And the kids also made a bad fucking choice here in that they all wrote super personal things to a thing they were handing to their teacher and not knowing it's fake. Yeah, which So was... I also feel like the children made a bad life choice. That also seemed weird, because as someone who's had to do, like, journaly sort of things for class, like, not this type of thing, but, like, those sorts, it's like, you're always aware you're going to hand it in for your teacher to read. Like, Yeah. Yeah, and, there's no point where you're not realizing, hey, I'm giving this to my teacher, I don't know what he's going to do with it. Like, so you absolutely give a fun, sanitized, like, this is what I did on my summer vacation. Right? Like, even just the things that's like, oh, anyway, my point is, is that he reads excerpts from the journals out loud to the entire class. And the excerpts he reads, I would actually like to quote a few of these, so we can ex- give a visual of why this is wild. He reads ones that he thinks are interesting. Yeah. But it's, they're not. It's just, it's so messed up. Because it's like, how do you not realize? And then he keeps going. It's obvious they all know who's writing it and what they're writing about. He basically read passages, but he changed the name. So surely then no one would know who they were. One of the passages was, quote, I think Jeremiah is pigheaded. His skin is always pink and his hair is always clean and shiny. He is really a jerk. Mr. Berkeley liked this passage because it showed conflicting feelings about someone. What the fuck? How is that? How How is that a passage worth reading to the entire class? And how do you think this won't end up poorly? Exactly. It's like he's picking the ones with maximum drama potential. Like Linda, there was no Linda in our class either, is my best friend. I tell her just about everything. And she tells me everything, even things I do not want to know. Like what she ate for breakfast and what her father wears to bed and how much her new sweater cost. Sometimes things like that are just not interesting. Mr. Berkeley liked this passage because it showed that even though someone might be our best friend, he or she could still drive us crazy. First off, that's way too much identifying information in that paragraph, even when you change the names. I'm pretty sure someone that talks about what their father wears to bed is pretty apparent. And everyone will fucking know, and then everyone will make fun of this person. And the fact that this teacher did not realize that means he is a shitty as fuck teacher. Also, he apparently didn't really read these ahead of time before reading passages. Sal, because she wasn't there in the summer, because she just moved didn't get to do the, do the journal project. So he had her kind of do a makeup assignment where she did like a little mini journal thing where she wrote about kind of whatever. He didn't give any, he's, he's like, write about something. What are the teachers in these books always being like, I don't know, turn in anything, I don't care. With no guidelines. Yeah, like, that's not real. That's not how assignments actually work. You have some sort of guideline. Not just like, eh, write about whatever. Like, okay. Um, so she writes about her, this really lovely thing about her mother and her mother kissing trees and it's really beautiful. 
and he reads it and it's definitely not something you want read in your class because it's also something that will definitely get you made fun of and was definitely pretty apparent it was her but it also then goes off into how she thinks mrs cadaver is a murderer and the fact that he seems surprised by this and then it's quickly covering it up shows that he didn't actually read ahead enough to like know what he was about to read to the class which seems a a bad plan be like, how do you know this is the best passage from her thing and should be read out if you haven't actually read it ahead of time? And why why, why would you do this? Why would you read it something out loud you haven't actually scanned with your eyes beforehand? Yeah, it was totally nuts. I was just like, why did, no, what teacher thinks this is a good plan? Like, teachers, if you're out there reading people's personal journals to their whole class, you're doing a bad job. You're doing this very poorly. <laughs> Don't do that. No. Kids will make fun of other kids for anything. Guess what? Changing the name does not mean we can't figure out who the hell it is. It was nuts. And then he ends up apologizing in the end for it. And it's, you put yourself in the situation. So everyone did a very bad job at this. He should never have given that assignment without any sort of framing. He should never have read these passages out to the class. And the class should have fucking known how to, like, adult better than this. That you can't just give a teacher all your fucking personal information like that. Although, my mother's a teacher, and her students in junior high are always trying to, like, friend her on Facebook, so I guess bad life choices is part of being young. My mom's a teacher, and she loves being a teacher and, like, loves her students, and even after she retired, took, like, a part-time job tutoring students at the local community college because she loves teaching. I just want to get that out of the way because that's also why we always did our grocery shopping at 11 p.m. because she was like, I could run into one of my students outside like oh my mother horrified. loves that because it freaks them out <laughs> she, she loves the haunted look on their face when they realize that she exists outside of the school grounds my mom was like i don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> so how relatable do we find these characters do we relate to anyone do we think us as kids related to any of these characters i totally did i related to sal a lot and i think part of it was um like my family isn't quite as rural country as hers but they do have a tad like a tiny bit of that and i also think that for all my like complaining about nature books we read this is the kind of nature lover i can get behind oh i see you like a nature lover <laughs> book when you pick it out but when i pick out well, a book about a boy trapped in the woods suddenly it's just not good enough exactly for you. i hate that damn but it <laughs> I don't, this isn't really a nature book, but the way she loves nature is the way that I loved nature. Where it's like, she loves her, like, farmland and basically, like, being outdoors, but not necessarily, like, I want to run off into the wild and live off the land. And she likes trees in general. Just trees, that's it. But she's not trying to be, like, I never want to see another person again. I want to live by myself in nature. That's the kind of nature lover I can get behind. I think I'm going to make you read Gary Paulson's The Island. Oh, God. You don't even know what it is. I do know what it is. Is this revenge for me playing Woody Guthrie to you? Trust me, uh, I'm going to be getting revenge on that a lot uh, <laughs> to you over the course of the next six to eight months. I so... can't believe you didn't know who Woody Guthrie is. Which I guess is another example of how my family is like, a tad bit country <laughs> we all know Woody Guthrie songs you know that kind of stuff so even though I have zero experience of anything of her in this book like I do not have any sort of shared experiences with this person whatsoever I did find it actually really relatable that's one real thing I really appreciated is 
they really created Sal in a way that her sort of sense of guilt, her sense of grief, that all of that translated in a really universal way. That even if, you know, you are not a person on a road trip with your grandparents after having moved from the country to the city, it was written in a way that was really created a very universal sense of how grief functions and how we sort of process our own personal sense of loss. So I really, I really loved her character, despite all my bitching earlier about how sad this is. I really found her a really just interesting, relatable character that really... I think create a clear and really sort of poetic sense of her own kind of loss. I also, um, as someone who in the nineties had to take a lot of long family road trips out West, like I can imagine what it was like, like why her parents were, her grandparents were like, tell us a story. We're so bored y'all in the nineties or any time before there was things like iPhones and iPods that you could hook up with music and podcasts and stuff. It there got, were cassettes. Well, it, there there were, and let me tell you what we listened to some weird books on tape at times because there was no radio stations. But you could stop at Cracker Barrels and get like a book on tape and then drop it off at a different Cracker Barrel. It's a whole thing, anyway. But the the like ones you could get were sometimes really bad. Oh my god, we listened to this one. You know what? I'm not even gonna go into it. My point is, that's also where I got really into watching power lines go up and down. <laughs> I used to love that. Whatever, when they finally came out with Walkmans and stuff, that I guess didn't come out with. But when I finally got one, and I had my, like, three tapes, I would just listen to it on repeat. I'm like, oh my god. I like to think that someday, someone will be on a road trip with their grandparents, and they'll put on our podcast. What state do you think they'll be in? Not Iowa. No. I feel like we're kind of a... Maybe through Nebraska when you're hitting about 95. I've never really been to Nebraska. We used to make big circles around it. It was like a family joke that we weren't allowed in Nebraska. Oh, no, no, no. I know. We're Nevada. We're Nevada. We're definitely, you were driving in the desert in Nevada. Okay. That's fine. We're like just past Reno. That's what kind of podcast we are. In Montana, this is no slam because I actually love Montana. I used to always imagine I'd retire there, but I think they get too much snow. I have bad um, news. You're never going to get to retire. I Okay. Dream world. <laughs> But, like, man, driving across it is brutal sometimes. You just get real crazy. Anything is entertainment. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful. It's lovely. But it's very big. Long state. There's not even, like, South Dakota. I mean, I've literally vacationed to South Dakota because I love it so much. I'm also a bad judge of this because I have driven from San Diego to Vancouver, B.C. I, I like to clarify because there is a Vancouver, Washington. So, like, people do get those mixed up. They both exist. I one time flew to Denver. So I could drive with my friend through Kansas. Like, that was our trip. <laughs> Out of Denver. Not like, oh, Denver is the destination. <laughs> like, no. The destination is driving through Kansas. I like to think that you got to the Kansas border and she just fucking threw you out of the car. You just, like, jumped out through the window. Goodbye! Like, you, you served kidding? your purpose. We had so much fun. Her Jeep didn't have air conditioning, though. Oh, God. So we had to do that thing because it's, like, 95 degrees. So we had to do that thing where it was, like, go as long as we can with the windows up. Uh, and then roll them down, but then the wind gets to you. I hate this so much. The only time I've really done that, like, with a, well, I did a long distance drive with a friend whose air conditioning was broken. We did all our driving at night. We would just drive from sundown towards a little bit after sunup. Oh, no. Me and her are like lizards. Yeah. We're all like, this is great. We're both cold drivers. We like to drive cold. So we were like, this is not something we can do. So we're just going to, like, become these weird night weirdos of the freeway. We're already driving through Kansas for ostensibly fun. I mean, she actually did have a destination. I was just along for the fun ride. 
So did you go to her final destination, or did you just, like, well, like leave after Kansas? No, I mean, I went to the final destination, okay. but... You were just there for Kansas? Yeah. I, Maybe I, we're a Kansas podcast. Maybe they listen to us as they drive through Kansas. If you're driving through Kansas... That sounds lovely. Also, tell me what your favorite restaurants in Kansas are. We'll compare notes. I've never been to Kansas, so let me know in case I ever go to Kansas. I can sell you some. I hope there's barbecue. No, in Kansas... What? I don't know! <laughs> I like barbecue. And no one's like, oh, the here. famous Kansas rest stop barbecue. I don't know. I just know that everyone assumes tells me that barbecue's better everywhere than where we are right now. That's true, but I mean, not really. Can I mean? I assume once you off. get past Nevada, there's just fucking barbecue everywhere. Of, That's like, what I feel like I've been promised. Kansas City style, which mm. honestly isn't my favorite type of barbecue. I'd say no offense, Kansas City, but you know what? Offense, Kansas City. I never liked you. Anyway, our book. Oh right, that's what we were here for. So they drive on a road trip to Idaho, and you had a lot of feelings about water moccasins that you promised to tell me later, and okay. I'm still waiting. Here's the thing. So these are, like, country folks. They grew up. They had, like, a farm in Kentucky. Yeah. Like, there's not that many water snakes in the world, and water moccasins are notoriously aggressive. They'll come at you. And so they see a snake get in the water. If you're actually from the country and you know what a water moccasin is, I say you see that happen, you get out because you're like, oh, that's probably a water moccasin. Okay. I don't know anything about water snakes. They should have got out of the river. Why were they like, hmm, there's an aggressive snake coming at us. Oh my god, something bit me. <laughs> I mean, they did seem to have a lot of bad ideas and like they seem to be very good at like it'll all work out as a philosophy it was very hakuna matata that made me so mad because like rereading this book as an adult i did not actually remember that she got bit and so when i saw the snake go in i was like oh that's poisonous snake (laughs) (laughs) hey book i see what you're doing that's a poison snake but like they should know that they should know better venom instead of poison oh god uh yeah i guess so because they bite you you're not biting it although if you ate a snake, like a like a venomous snake, would the poison kill you? I feel like Mythbusters has probably addressed this at some point, so the answer is out there for us. I'll look it up later. Okay. That was my big thing. I was like, there, there was no reason why this should have happened. If they all saw the snake go in, they should have known enough to be like, get out of the river. I'm just saying. That's fair. I, I will defer to you on this because I know a jack all about poison snakes. And I'm saying that as Venomous snakes, I've never been around them. One time was like poking a rattlesnake. Yeah, I've watched you poke rattlesnakes. They were so cute. There was a best of, nest of rattlesnakes at a place we once worked. I'm not going to go into it, but they were adorable. It was a really good day for all of us when we convinced you that you should start poking it with an object and not your finger. Like, I felt like we all felt a lot better after that. Like, I wasn't just poking them for fun. I was trying to get them to move out of a dangerous area where they could get hurt. I was trying to herd them. I just feel like your hand is not the best way to herd rattlesnakes. Well, to be fair, I didn't know it was a rattlesnake. I was like, why is it shaking its tail at me? <laughs> I know about water snakes, not rattlesnakes. <laughs> You're like the land snakes. I don't I don't worry about those. But the water snakes, those most, are mine. Most land snakes are harmless. <laughs> But some aren't. Obviously the ones you poke. Eh, that one didn't bite me. So I feel like we had a real understanding going on. <sighs> Where he was like, I don't like the poking, but I get that you're trying to help me. <laughs> I don't think that's what the snake was thinking. <laughs> he did eventually move when I started clanging metal near him. God, that is Turned true. Turned out he hated that more than the pokey. <laughs> yeah. That snake had a bad fucking day when you rolled up. 
such a cutie. You did keep it from getting squished, so yeah. I guess you did do a good snake service. As for quotes, I don't have a lot of quotes from this book because I had an issue with my Kindle and it deleted some quotes and I want to talk about it. But I did love all the like weird old-timey folk things they would say. She was always like, I might as well try to catch a fish in the air or... Well, when she's asking for Sal to tell her a story, she literally says, Spin us a yarn. My grandparents can get into trouble as easily as a fly can land on a watermelon. I do, actually, before we do more quotes, I do want to address one of the major themes of this book that I was actually super impressed with how it handled it, is it gets really deep and fucked up into the role of, like, modern motherhood in a way that, like, was agonizing to read, but they set up such great parallels because basically... So much of the story around Sal's mother is tied into sort of her trying to find out who she is and her wanting to go back to her name before she was just the nickname Sugar. Part of why she wanted to go see her cousin was someone that knew her before she was a wife and a mother. Her miscarriage caused severe depression afterwards and she had to cope with that along with her sort of coping with the fact that she felt like she wasn't as good as her partner and felt inferior to sort of his natural sense of kindness and sort of his natural way of being a very giving person. And then you contrast it with Phoebe's mother, who is also struggling repeatedly, and Sal very clearly sees how Phoebe's mother is sad all the time, and she's constantly trying to get her kids to appreciate her, but in a way that, like, she feels so empty when they don't need her help, and now that they're growing up and don't need her as much, she's completely lost. And she spends all her time trying to be this amazing homemaker and is constantly struggling with the lack of validation that her family gives her, and it's dark as fuck. It's too fucking real, and it's very well handled, and this again is a book for children, so I hope some child out there that read this book went and told their mother they loved them afterwards. Because, <laughs> like, she- and then she ends with that, she, like, cuts her hair, and she comes back in makeup, and part of her going out was trying to, like, find- like, a lot of this was what happens when you leave this sort of family domicile and this, this very specific relationship that the world is putting on you, and this very specific dynamic, and who do you find at the other end? Sal's mother never got to find out. She died before she did. Phoebe's mother was able to sort of find that and come home. And it's just... It's gnarly. It's gnarly and depressing. And again, this is a book for youths. I hope they appreciate their mothers after reading it. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. It's just so physically painful how you can see through Sal's eyes. And actually, as an adult now, reading the suffering of Phoebe's mother in her relationship with her husband and her children was viscerally upsetting for me anyway that's another thing that made me sad yeah but it was really good sad like it was very effective it was very well done and depressing the only other thing i have to say is that i actually did love her grandparents a lot and all their crazy folk sayings but there were some times where some of the things they did that were quirky i just thought were annoying yeah like when he like pulls over to help someone one time it just like makes her engine worse yeah that was a dick move i know and i was like i know this is supposed to be like a comedy scene but like it's not why are you doing that? They didn't need to put those scenes in, I guess. Like, the parts I love them for are where they're, like, just talking to each other, and you sense that there's, like, a lot of love between them, but also they, like, rib each other and stuff. Like, they have this weird, ongoing, not even joke, really, but, like, weird thing about, like, how Graham used to be in love with the Eggman. <laughs> like, well, she actually ran off with him for three days. Yeah. There's, like, a thing about it, and they still, like, rib each other about it, and it's weird. Those parts were, like, you get to know them better, and you see that there's no actual, like, malice behind a lot of those words and stuff, which is why I like them, versus the parts where he does things like that. 
I have a couple quotes to share. Yeah. So the first is about Sal's mother, Sugar, when she's talking about, or when they're getting into that about her leaving. Two days before she left, when I first heard her raise the subject of leaving, she said, I feel so rotten in comparison. Sugar, you're not rotten, he said. See, she said, see, why couldn't you at least believe I am rotten? Because you are not, he said. She said she had to leave in order to clear her head and to clear her heart of all the bad things. She needed to learn about what she was. You can do that here, sugar, he said. I need to do it on my own, she said. I can't think. All I see here is what I am not. I am not brave. I am not good. And I wish someone would call me by my real name. My name isn't sugar. It's Shanhassen. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, cool. I'm sad now. It's someone that just wants people to see her for who she is and see herself for who she is. And now I'm sad forever. Um, and then near the end, you get actually some really fucking dope ending near this book. It seems to me that we can't explain all the truly awful things in the world, like war and murder and brain tumors. And we can't fix these things. So we look at the frightening things that are closer to us and we magnify them until they burst open. Inside is something that we can manage, something that isn't as awful as it at first seemed. It is a relief to discover that although there might be ex-murderers and kidnappers in the world, most people seem a lot like us. Sometimes afraid and sometimes brave, sometimes cruel and sometimes kind. I decided that bravery is looking Pandora's box full in the eye as best you can, then turning to the other box, the one with the smooth, beautiful folds inside. Mama kissing trees, my gramps saying, huzzah, huzzah, gramps in his marriage bed. So yeah, everyone, try to find hope in this dark world that we live in. <laughs> All right, you're deliberately picking. Well, everything's fucking picking. terrible. I would like to read a quote. Yeah, try and find a happy one. Uh, this is just her complaining about how much she hates the house in Ohio. And she says, No swimming hole, no barn, no cows, no chickens, no pigs. Instead, a little white house with a miniature pass of green grass in front of it. It wasn't enough grass to keep a cow alive for five minutes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> And yet, while she's living in this house, Ben buys her a fucking chicken. You know what you don't give people as a pet? Living animals. I'm allowed to keep a chicken in city limits there, I guess. I know, you can keep city limits here. But I'm just saying, it's rude to give people living animals, especially when they don't have enough grass on their lawn to keep a cow alive. Chickens I mean, I guess... don't eat grass, so. And they're smaller than cows. <laughs> I knew the smaller than cows parts. I don't actually know what chickens live off of. Not grass. <laughs> I'm uh, from the city. What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> we know someone with chickens. I know, but I personally don't do the urban homesteading. That's just not a thing I do. Um, This one is just, I made a note where it's like, the boys are making fun of Phoebe at school, and her last name is Winterbottom, and they call her Free Bee Icebottom. <laughs> drew a picture of a bumblebee with an ice cube on its bottom. And my note was just, Remember when you were a kid and literally any words could be considered an insult? <laughs> <laughs> like, why was that an insult? Uh, kids. Oh, uh, that's all I got. That's all I got. Let's do ratings. I think I'll go first. Go ahead. So, despite all my, like, deep existential trauma uh, I experienced while reading this book and how I am now lost in the middle of like a sad sea of despair um forever treading water until the darkness consumes me when the moon finally goes below the horizon and there is nothing but stars at the end of an ever decaying universe i actually really like this book <laughs> <laughs> like it's a good book it's well written it's just fucking depressing but like the characters are great the world is charming like it all really does cover a really beautiful arc on grief and family and 
the way we interact through grief, the way we communicate through grief, more importantly, the way we don't communicate when we're trapped in grief. And it's all very, I think, a really beautifully told story. It just, you know, eats my soul away, but it's fucking really great. <laughs> so I'm going to give this a 7.5 for being a lovely story. Um, I would not give it to children that I don't want to be sad, but if I have a child that's a little too happy and I want them to appreciate their mother and grandparents more, I might give them this book to teach them about life and grief and despair and living in 2018. I obviously liked this book a lot as a kid, and rereading it was, like, fun, and, like, I read it pretty fast. I did not find it as depressing as Kelly, and I found it interesting and, like, kind of a good, like I said, a good, like, a hopeful story about dealing with bad things happening to you and how to come to peace with all that. And a lot of interesting themes. Uh, I would definitely give it to any kid I thought was, like, struggling with kind of coming to terms with things. I don't think I want to reread it though anytime soon and it has nothing to do with it being sad it was just like yeah I did that I just don't have any desire to go back to it again so because of that and because I didn't read it that much as a kid I'm gonna give it a five and a half what what is happening <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> no what no no you go back you only gave fine. the cat book a five I liked the cat book. Oh, gee. You're getting back at me because I told you you didn't like the cat book. No, I'm not. I really, I actually was only going to give it a five, but then he raised it up to a half because I felt bad because you gave it such a high score. I liked it. I, I thought it was this, fine. I, read I don't really want to reread it again, though, but it has nothing to do with it being sad. It's just like, it's like, yeah, I heard that story. Okay. I reread re 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 it because we I read it so long ago. For this podcast. How when, was it? Rereading it. Good. It was really good. That's why I gave it a 7.5. It's very rereadable. <laughs> I think maybe you like this book more than me. <laughs> I don't I by know this. what this podcast is anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's nothing to do with you. I mean, a little bit. That's why I bumped it up to a 5.5. You put it on our list. I know, and I liked it. A 5 is good. A 5 is halfway. A 5 is, I had zero problems with this, really. Or maybe, like, small problems. It was a remarkable treatise on grief. Why are you voting it so low? I don't know. I don't really want to reread it. And let me tell you what, there are sad books I want to reread. Well, now I'm even sadder. Apparently, Emily found a way to fucking kick my kneecaps out and it's drive me like further this, in the like, ground. I really enjoyed it, and this was a nice read, but if I never reread it again, I wouldn't be like, oh man, I, I regret that. You <laughs> like, pile drivered my heart. I'm sorry. That's my. That's one of my biggest indicators of how high I should rate a book, is how much I want to reread it. Like, do I want to keep coming back to this world? I and don't know how to live in the moment. I guess not. I don't wash it over you. <clears throat> if only there was a book about this. Are you quoting a song? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed us discussing Walk to Moons. <laughs> Twist ending! If anyone needs me, I'll be lying on the floor staring at the ceiling quietly for many hours. This is the best twist I've heard since we discovered that Mrs. Cadaver was the one in the bus who survived. <sighs> I'm just... I don't know how to feel anymore about myself or this podcast or Emily or... Who are we? What are books? <laughs> do books matter? Why do we matter? I'm sad again. You want a piece of glitter I found on the floor? No. No, I don't. Well, Keep away from my mimosa. 
Anyway, I would also, to continue my downward spiral, I have a correction from, like, many weeks ago that I didn't give you guys Ooh. a correction. I'm excited. What is it? You know this one. Our no. consultant informed us that we were incorrect about something on our previous episode on The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We stated there was not a movie of the Dawn Treader, that they'd started to make one but didn't complete it. There was a movie for the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I just saw it for $5 at Target the other day. Uh, I got a text message immediately after that episode from a friend of ours. Alex, our friend, uh, informing us that this existed. So, holy shit, I need to watch this. Um, You're right, I didn't know that. I'm also super confused because that came out in a period of time where I literally was seeing movies twice a week. So the fact that there was a movie that was released and I did not see the trailer and do not remember the trailer is just bizarre to me. Uh, we have gotten much better at actually fucking fully doing a little better Wikipedia-ing since then. Since the Voyage of the Dawn Treader conversation was a bit more off the cuff. But, holy shit, there's a fucking movie of it. So if anyone has seen this, let me know how it is. Even though, let's be real, I'm probably gonna watch it before this episode even gets aired. Yeah, it came out in 2010, which is just wild to me. Because I was watching a lot of movies in 2010. I think I was just pretty much busy singing the song Dynamite over and over again. That's fair. Didn't that come out in 2010? Don't ask me about song dates. I'm very bad at that. <laughs> That's you all do I do re- songs, I do movies. That's all I remember about 2010. Anyway. Anyway, uh, I would like to thank you all for joining us this week. It was a pleasure to have you let us creep into your ears again. As always, you can find us on Twitter, and by us I mean me, at throwbackbspod. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, subscribe to us on Spotify. If you leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, it would be something that would help me crawl out of this pit of sadness and despair that I am currently <laughs> trapped in now that I have read this book. And our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. If you want to email us, you can email us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. Um, anything else, Emily? No. All right. I think that's it for us. We will be back with the book Bat Six. So bye. You gonna give us a closing song? Is it time for my closing song? Time for your closing song. Oh, what should I do? No, I got nothing. I got no songs. I got Great. no songs in my heart right now. No songs in your heart. No songs in your mind. We're all gonna die screaming and sad while people try to process our grief. I'm honestly just trying to remember how the song Dynamite goes now. Okay. See you guys next time. theme song with me today i'm just gonna that sing, could be our theme song i'm just gonna sing the cardigans okay time for reading some old books now yes we're reading some <laughs> you were staring at me a little like uh-huh and this is my special friend <laughs> emily <laughs> at the end of the day you're probably my only friend <laughs> yeah